Hello, and welcome back to Lamniforms Radio. My name is Ian Corey. I am the singer and songwriter in the band Lamniforms. I use this podcast as a way to get to know other musicians and artists. I ask them questions about their background, their intentions in their art, and uh, their creative process. I just like to pick people's brains and see where they're coming from. I think it's a useful way to get to know other musicians and kind of connect with the broader world of music. And I hope that you, the listener, can uh, have some useful takeaways as well and maybe get introduced to some new and interesting music. Case in point, today's episode is an interview with Jessica T of the Oakland-based doom metal band Dokma. I first became aware of them when they pitched me uh, their first full-length record back in 2016 when I was working at the website Invisible Oranges. I really liked it. I thought it was very creative, very heady, very uh, literary concepts going on, really awesome sounds, and just like a lot of creative confidence in their work. I've sort of been keeping tabs on them since, and when I saw that they were getting set to release their second full-length album uh, titled Unmarked Boxes, which is a reference to a, uh, a poem by Rumi, I was immediately interested in hearing what they were cooking up. You know, I, I love the first record, and I wanted to see where they went since, and I'm happy to say that this one's even better. It's a terrific, slow, melodic, mournful, heavy doom metal album so if that's the kind of thing that you're into then you really should stick around and listen to this conversation we talked about jessica's background in classical music and her gradual progression into the world of heavy metal sort of coming to it as a bit of a late bloomer we shared some thoughts about iron maiden we talked about the recording process for unmarked boxes which sounded absolutely hellish but it turned out great Uh, so i'm glad that they were able to survive recording and 110 degree temperatures with no AC. If you want to hear that whole story, please stick with us. It's a really fun conversation. I think you're going to have a blast listening to it. And I really hope you check out this Dogma record, Unmarked Boxes, out right now. So stick around for the conversation. Hope you enjoy. I guess a good place to start would be how did you start playing music to begin with? Yeah. Um, so. My parents started me on piano lessons when I was like four years old. So like one of my early childhood memories is just like, I don't think that they told me either ahead of time. I think they just brought me to a teacher's house and like dropped me off. So I was like at some strange lady's house. And I distinctly remember like staring down at the piano keys and like my feet, you know, are still very far from the ground, like dangling and just like the lady was like, play this and this. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah, I started piano lessons when I was really young and all of my initial musical training was classical. So I took piano lessons until I was 11. And I think I started violin lessons when I was eight years old. So I was doubled up for a few years before I decided that doing both piano and violin lessons at the same time was too much. So I Mm -hmm. was able to kind of just stop taking piano lessons. And I continued playing piano for like fun, but not in a more um, disciplined way. But yeah, that's where I started. And then I think guitar was much more casual. I think my my dad got me my first electric guitar when I was like in fourth grade, but he's like, uh-huh. I didn't know how to play it and I just had it and it was cool. And then <laughs> when I was 15, I got like an acoustic electric guitar and I kind of just like started reading tabs and playing chords, mostly just like to accompany myself when I was singing. So I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm like much of a guitarist, you know, I definitely mm-hmm. play some guitar, but it's not 
it's not at all one of my primary instruments. And so were you, I'm assuming that if you were learning a lot of classical music that you were also listening to it, but was that something that you were listening to outside of your practice schedule or was it sort of mostly associated with like the work of learning the instrument? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, so my parents definitely in the car on the radio were mostly tuned to like classical radio stations. So it was always Mm -hmm. kind of in the background. Um, You know, I started playing in orchestra in fourth grade and continued throughout high school and then college. I actually, I majored in music and I was playing in college orchestra the whole time. So classical music was definitely like a really big part of my life. I I think, I don't, I feel like I listened to it more for pleasure as an adult than I did when I was young. You know, it wasn't Mm. really something, it was definitely more of like, oh, I play violin and I'll listen to the song because I'm learning it, but it wasn't something that I was like seeking out. What was the stuff that you enjoyed learning how to play at that point where like there are specific composers or specific pieces that kind of uh, sparked uh, maybe a bit more of a a deeper interest beyond just doing it because you had to or? Yeah, not until later in life, honestly, because I feel Mm -hmm. like uh, all of my initial years were very like the the path was laid out for me, right? Like it was the, the pieces I learned were the ones that my teachers taught me to taught me to like play and we would work on for you know weeks or months depending on how complex the piece was and then I would have like orchestral auditions and they'd specify which pieces were for those and I had to learn those songs there wasn't I feel like there wasn't like a ton of room for my own like decision making until I was like older And, and honestly it was it was one of those things where my classical violin playing was got to feel pretty oppressive by the time I was in college, you know, because I was studying it for Mm -hmm. a major and I had some really hard ass (laughs) instructors and um, orchestra conductors that were, you know, just like really strict and kind of just sapped all the joy out of it for me. And so I honestly like didn't touch my violin for years. And then when I joined this band, it was really like that was the first time where I kind of got to explore, like, how do I want to play the violin and like what is inspiring to me and like and it was it was exciting but also like honestly like really stressful too because coming from a classical background where it's like Bach wrote this violin concerto a certain way or this you know um this like you have to play it that way and it's like you get it right or you get it wrong right there's not a lot of room Mm -hmm. for interpretation and then to go to like a space for writing for dogma where it's like I have all of the space. I can kind of do whatever I want, whatever, like whatever moves me was kind of intimidating to kind of figure that out because I was just such a different philosophy than what I was used to. Was that something that you were messing around with on guitar when you were younger? If that, because it sounds like that was more of a casual thing compared to the more academic focused violin playing. Mm -hmm. Why, why the guitar and what what kind of stuff were you doing on guitar as a as a teenager? Yeah, so guitar, <laughs> even guitar was like it was definitely more like my choice of what songs I wanted to learn, you know, because I wasn't taking lessons. Um, but even then, it was like I was never songwriting on guitar or anything. It was very much like, oh, mm-hmm. I really love like. This artist, Michelle Branch, actually came out with this album called The Spirit Room when I was like, I think, 15 or 16. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I like I want to play her songs and sing like her, you know, like play play guitar and sing. And so I would like learn her songs. Right. And or I look up tabs, you know, for for I think (laughs) what was I listening to back then? Uh, when I was like 15 or 16, I was listening to like, yeah, like Foo Fighters and stuff like that. Right. So I would look up Foo Fighters Mm -hmm. tabs and then learn those. So yeah, it really wasn't, it really wasn't until Doc where I really started like 
like writing my own stuff and exploring that kind of like, how do I want to make music and like, where do I have like space to explore? So we weren't playing in like any bands or anything like that in high school. No, it was like very much like I played in orchestra and I played in like string quartets. Like sometimes we'd get hired for like weddings and stuff and we'd play like Mm -hmm. classical repertoire for those. And yeah, it was, you know, really not, not a whole lot of room for like exploration. It was very much like everything was like in that more strict line of you hear something and then you try to like recreate it kind of thing mm-hmm. where and then, you know and not really composing or coming up with my own stuff or expression or even like inter- interpretations right like it wasn't even so much of that like when I was doing covers of things even then I, back then when I was younger it was very much trying to like even if it wasn't consciously I think I was really much very much trying to like replicate what I was hearing Sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, especially if you're not like in a peer group that's like pushing you towards writing anything. Like if you're operating solo, that's kind of a, a big leap to take to writing your own stuff. Was there like a, a, a local music scene that you were like around or anything like that? Or No, I wish. I mean, so it was like my <laughs> my musical journey, I really feel like was very like kind of slow and meandering, you know, so I grew up in in New Mexico and it was a place where, you know, I, I was very much like the, the stereotypical, like tortured teenager, like, oh, I don't fit in here. You know, I, I got I was drawn to heavy music starting in like high school. And I think very much for like that kind of cliched reason of like, oh, no one understands me, you know, mm-hmm. and like I have. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to listen to heavy music. And, you know, I, I I wasn't surrounded by like a cool music scene. And I was very much not a cool kid, you know, very much like a nerd, kind of uh, only had a few friends and hung out by myself. So um, I really had to like seek out heavier music. And it was whatever was available on like the alternative radio station. Right. So it was like, gotcha. Yeah. In, in my high school time, that was like, you know, new metal was very much a thing. So I started listening to like Linkin Park. Right. Like that blew my mind. when I was. Mm-hmm. It's like really funny to say looking back. But, you know, that's that was my introduction to heavy music was like System of a Down, Linkin Park. Um, I think like Chevelle was like a thing for me, you know, like. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that was a band that, like, I I was huge system and Linkin Park fan as well. Yeah. Chevelle was like one step too far. Like right around the time that they were blown up, I was starting to get into like the the way deeper, deeper, heavier That's shit. Good. No, but, I was. That was very much like the beginning for me. You know, like mm-hmm. late high school, like junior senior year is when I really started to like explore heavy music, and I had no idea what I was doing. You know, it was just like again, I was just like whatever was on the radio, whatever I was drawn to. And then I, you know, go out and buy the CD and like listen to that and then be like, oh, and then you'd see stickers on the CD be like for fans of Linkin Park or something like that. And um, yeah, yeah, and I I think, I think I I didn't even like know, honestly, this is so funny, but I didn't even know about like Metallica until I was like in late high school. And that was because my orchestra, one of my orchestra mates, he was another violinist. He was um, like... A Metallica head and you know at that time like S&M had come out pretty recently and so it was like oh mm-hmm. you know Metallica and the San Francisco Symphony so like he this classmate wrote his own um, orchestrations of I think I want to say like call 
called Cthulhu and Fade to Black. I think he wrote his own orchestrations for him to play electric guitar and then for the, us as an orchestra to like be his backing orchestra so he could have his own little Metallica S&M moment. <laughs> and like <laughs> that was very much my introduction to Metallica. Like I was I was just so like unaware of anything in the metal scene up until that point, you know, and I and even then I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting and it really appeals to me. But not like mm-hmm. I didn't even like dig in further. It was it was like a slow thing. It was like, yeah, it was all just Linkin Park, System of Down, and I think eventually Tool. You know, I started listening to Tool, and that was like kind of it until like grad school and then like post-grad school. One of my really good friends introduced me to Mastodon, and like mm-hmm. Mastodon was like very appealing to me. And then from there, I think one of my coworkers at the time found out I listened to Mastodon, and he was like much more of like, a metal nerd and he's like this is a very exciting opportunity for me he's like he's like all right because like he's like you're you know you're you're into metal but you're very into like more i guess like mainstream metal right so he's like i want to play something for you and i want to like know what you think of it right and it was mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like sleep right he played sleep and he played dope smoker for me and i honestly did the whole thing I, well i think he sent it to me right he's like listen to this right like and i want to know your thoughts and i was just like i honestly like didn't even know what to think because it was just so different like I had no background in like doom metal before that point you know so this is probably around like 2012 2013 I want to say is, wow, okay. is like yeah. when I got introduced to to doom metal and but it was like I think sleep was intriguing to me but I didn't get it at first I was like you know mm-hmm. the slow build the slow burn situation I was just like I don't know but I started exploring from there because I was like oh my god there's all these like Subgenres of metal, right? There's like, because up to that point, I pretty much only knew like thrash, right? Metallica's thrash, and I knew about like new metal and like not a whole lot of other things. I didn't know about mm-hmm. like Doom or Sludge or anything like that. So I started exploring at that point, and that's that's when things really opened up, and I started finding stuff that I really liked. I think one of like the first Doom metal songs that I really gravitated to on my own, like found on my own, was like this band Samothrace. They had an album and this like awkward hearts track it like that was the first time I was like oh I think I understand what doom metal is about it's about like finding a really heavy riff and just meditating on it like meditate Mm. on it you know and I was like oh I get it and like that's what really clicked and then from then I think when I revisited sleep and I (laughs) I saw them live in 2013 and that was when I was like oh my god this is it like the like Uh live I had to see them live I think I, I just didn't get it prior to that so had you seen other metal bands live before that or was that like your first introduction to like the whole experience <laughs> that would be such a cool story if that was like my first like a heavy music concert was like sleep i you know i'm trying to remember i think it was very like it was like a. I think i dove in really deep so what i did is like as i started getting into like doom metal specifically i was like okay well obviously the the next thing i got to do is see it live right so i was like how can i make mm-hmm. this happen and yeah i think this was 2013 so i'd also I had come across Paul Bearer and that was like a big game changer for me. Like, I think, you know, at that point they only had Sorrow and Extinction out and I heard Foreigner and I was like floored. I was just like, Mm -hmm. this track is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And it really appealed to like, I think like the classical musician in me and like, you know, as a kid, I was very much like a pop music fan. I think Paul Bearer has some real like, you know, poppy hooks. (laughs) 
Right. So yeah. I, they, they write pop songs just very slowly. Yeah. And, and, and heavily. And yeah. Like, so yeah. I was like, okay. So, and it ended up like, it was, it was like really good luck. I think at the time I was looking for some shows and it turned out that like, Baroness was having like their first live show in Philadelphia after that horrible bus crash that they had. And Paul Bear was opening for them and they were playing in Philadelphia. And then that was like the day before or like concurrent with Maryland Death Fest, which had Sleep playing at it. And like, I think that year they also had like, who else? This was so long ago. They had like Pelican and they had like a bunch of other bands that I had like been listening to for maybe like, you know, a year or like six months that I was getting into. And I was like, okay, well, this is a really great way to dive in. So I Mm -hmm. flew out and one of my my friend that had introduced me to Mastodon was living in Vermont at the time. And I was like, hey, bud, like I have this crazy idea. I want to fly out to Philadelphia, see this Baroness and Paul Bearer show and then like. Let's then drive to Maryland Death Fest for like the rest of that festival. And just like, and he's like, I'm in. And so that was like, so I I guess like the first heavy band I saw live was probably Paul Bear. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think because I was also, I did, I did start going to a lot more local shows because I'm in the Bay Area. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of metal shows here, or, or at least there was at the time. And I was concurrently starting to go to them, but I can't remember if I went to that festival and that Paul Bearer show first or if I started going to a local show first I honestly can't remember I mean I would go with if if you're looking for cool points saying like Maryland Death Fest and <laughs> seeing Baroness and Paul Bearer was your first like heavy metal live experience that's a pretty that's a good argument winner right there yeah that's probably know? true yeah let's stick with that because it's a cooler story <laughs> Um, so just scrolling back a bit you mentioned that you did go to college for music was mm-hmm. that that was for undergrad yeah and uh, it seems like that's something that you stopped pursuing post undergrad. What was what's the story there? Yeah. Um, so I was I changed my major multiple times and I think it was kind of like a tension between wanting to like make a practical decision and then like wanting to follow what my heart was. And my heart was always like mm-hmm. music, right? Music was my first love, my biggest love always, you know, um, even if it was like I was playing classical music, but what I was listening to was always like whatever I was passionate about, you know, and that changed throughout time. But like music was always my passion. But, you know, the practical side of me was like, I don't I never really wanted to like teach piano. I didn't want to teach violin. So it was Mm -hmm. like I was trying to I think I was a psych major for a while. I was a computer science major for a while. All the while I was taking music classes like music theory and orchestration and all that stuff. And and finally, I was just like, what am I doing? I'm just going to do I'm just going to be a music major and I'll just make the practical decisions later. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, so I, I graduated with the the music degree. But then after that, I was just like, yeah, I don't want to teach. So I'm going to have to pick something else and go to grad school for something practical. Yeah. And what did you end up doing, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, gosh. So yeah, my, <laughs> my career journey has also been, I'm like, I'm always been somebody who has too many interests and like has a hard time like sticking to anything in general. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I went to I went to law school. And I, I did end up being a lawyer, but only for a few years before I ultimately was like, this is also not what I want to do and switched careers. So and were you still like working on music? during that period of time or how does how did your relationship to music change when you decided to go for the more practical career route yeah I think I mean so I during that time during grad school I was not playing a lot of music so I always kind of had access to a piano like a 
like an electric piano. And so I would definitely always play piano for fun and yeah, just for like stress relief, you know, purposes. But, you know, like in law school, I really didn't have a ton of free time. So music wasn't like something I had a ton of time for. I definitely listened to music. And I would say like, (laughs) actually to law school, I was listening to a lot of Iron Maiden. Actually, I'm forgetting a very integral part of my metal journey was I, I started listening. I was introduced to Iron Maiden in college. And it was very much because I think that Brave New World had come out in like 2005 or something. Right. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> my my friend, the same friend that introduced me to Mastodon um, back then, had introduced me to Iron Maiden, and they were very appealing to me. You know, I kind of liked the like operatic, like Bruce's operatic vocals, and like the kind of like cheesy uh, parallel thirds and the guitars. You know, and I was like very mm-hmm. again very catchy. So yeah, I feel like in law school is when I started really digging into like the Iron Maiden discography. So like I was definitely listening to a lot of music, but not playing a a lot of music in grad school. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I remember I was going to bring up Iron Maiden at some point because when I was doing those micro reviews, I remember you hitting me up about uh, seventh son of a seventh son. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, that's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. That's probably my favorite. It's either that one or uh, somewhere in time or the ones that I, I always go to. I'm really into that. Like the synthy, era of Iron Maiden, like all of those like big washy guitar synths. There's something like really cool and like sci-fi that it adds to their, their sound that, you know, I'm I'm also, as you can probably tell a bit of a dork myself. So that kind of stuff really appeals to me. Totally. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like everybody else is like, you know, like number of the beast or something like that era, you know, the, the, Mm -hmm. so it's cool that you're into the other stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, of course I love that stuff too. Like, I just think that like, you know, I'm, coming from it as like listening to an album uh top to bottom just the the textural and tonal experience of the the late 80s kind of synthier iron maiden it just like feels really good on my ears For sure. so yeah yeah but if, like yeah who's who's gonna knock number of the beast obviously yeah. it's a classic nobody you know? with taste <laughs> <laughs> um so then how did you you get into doom metal you start going to shows flying out to Maryland Death Fest and whatnot. How how soon after that do you start playing in metal bands? Yeah, yeah. So I think I always wanted to be in a band, right? Like whenever I would listen to music when I was a kid, I'd always like imagine being in a band, right? So it, it just wasn't like, it just wasn't a possibility. I think part of it was just like, yeah, I wasn't surrounded by people in bands ever. You know, I wasn't part of the scene, so I didn't really know anybody mm-hmm. in a band. So I was like, it always kind of felt like a far off a far off possibility, but definitely like a dream. And so I, yeah, so I started like going to shows and kind of, yeah, <laughs> I guess the story of how I joined the band is kind of actually a slightly ridiculous one. It's it's pretty, pretty fun, actually. So um, I, uh, it was like online dating at the time. And I, I, you know, put all of the bands that I was interested in in my profile and so I did get Mm -hmm. hit up by somebody and you know I went on a date with him and we had like the best conversation because we were just being like full-on music nerds the whole time just like talking about (laughs) talking about all these different bands and albums and like what are you listening to and I was just like this this guy is really cool I mean I'm not you know I'm not feeling any kind of romantic chemistry here but like what a cool person and he had mentioned he was like yeah you know like I just started up a band recently and he was like telling me about it and it was very much like a doom metal project and like you know I went home and I was just like dude I don't I like 
this is going to sound so cheesy, but I was very invigorated and I was like, I felt mm-hmm. like I was like buzzing and I was like, what's going on here? Cause I'm like, you know, I, I don't think that he and I had a romantic connection. You know, we had a great conversation, but like, so like, why am I buzzing? And I was like, ah, this is good. This is good. He's going to think I'm crazy, but I feel like there's like a musical connection here. Right. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. I was like, this, I'm just going to like, just put it all out there. I wrote him a message being like, Hey, I really enjoyed talking with you. And like, just like, all cards on the table, I'm not feeling a romantic connection, but like, I kind of feel like I, I'd love to make music with you. I was like, I understand that like, and actually this, <laughs> this is so dorky. At the time I had like, I just bought a bass guitar and I was taking bass lessons. So I was just like, mm-hmm. hey, I know you have a bassist right now, but in the future, if you ever have like other projects that you're looking for a bass player, like hit me up, you know? And I like sent that message to him, like fully realizing he's going to think this is crazy. Like that was never on the table. <laughs> like what the hell? So like, I think he ignored me for a couple hours and I was like, you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, I put it out there. He wasn't feeling it. It's fine. But then a few hours later he answered and he was like, that, that he's like, yeah, that's a really weird message. He's like, but, <laughs> but he's like, you know what? I was, I've been thinking about it. And he's like, I think I feel, feel the same sort of like musical chemistry you're talking about. Um, and he's like, you know, like, he's like, like I said, I've got a bass player. So um, he's like, that's, that's not a thing. But he's like, I'm really into this band called Sabrosa. And he's like, Mm-hmm. And he's like, and like um, Cult of Luna. And he's like, I'm trying to kind of go in that direction for this project. And he's like, you said that you play violin and guitar. You know, I have extra guitar lines that I write. And he's like, and like, if you play violin, if you'd be down to try like violin with us, like, let's let's give it a shot. You know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And I remember being very like taken aback because at the time I hadn't touched my violin and quite some time, like probably like mm-hmm. a year or more. Cause like I said, I'd completely lost love for it. And I was like, Oh, that's not, that wasn't the vision. I, the vision I had was of playing bass in a band. But then, but then I like listened to Sabrosa and I was like, well, first of all, this rules like Sabrosa was, right. was incredible, you know, amazing band. Incredible. Yeah. And I was like, it was like the first time I kind of was able to hear violin outside of that very confined space of like, you have to play music a certain way, right? Because they were doing mm-hmm. crazy things. They were throwing like tons of fuzz, tons of distortion on their violin. They were making it sound like ugly on purpose and then beautiful, you know, like they were mm-hmm. exploring this like tonal range of violin that I'd never heard before. And so I was like, not at all confident that I could do that, but I was like, I definitely want to try. And so, yeah, I like, I think he had, he had like me just come to band practice and, play with them and I had very much had to like kind of take a leap of faith because like I didn't own an electric violin at the time and they were playing out of these like massive vintage tube amps that were like loud as hell so there was like I was like (laughs) I definitely have to get like an electric violin and my own like my own like equally heavy rig to like even be heard so I kind of had to like invest and just take a shot you know but yeah, it ended up like it ended up being kind of like magical, and it was very much like growing together. Because I was like, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like figuring this out as I go, and they're like, they're like, we don't have any idea of how violin works, so we're also figuring it out. So <laughs> that is something that I was going to ask. Is like, I feel, you know, I'm I'm a drummer primarily, mm-hmm. so already there's like a gap when I'm writing guitar parts 
it's very clear when they're not idiomatically correct to the instrument. Mm -hmm. And I've had to like learn over the last like decade, like what is physically possible for me to write for guitarists to play. And my like dumb drummer brain is like, well, they're both string instruments, so it can't be that different. (laughs) But like, yeah, what are the differences between like writing for guitar versus writing for, for violin? Like what kind of, were there any like stumbling blocks that the band had to, overcome like what what were those like tensions early on like? yeah so i think from the very beginning so my bandmate isaac is is like the the bandmate i've been talking about the one i first met mm. and brought me in and he from the very beginning he gave me a lot of um just like creative space to write my own parts it was every once in a while he would be like i kind of picture this line he played on guitar he's like on violin and then i would like mm-hmm. translate to violin that was like sometimes but most of the time it was like, you know, he would bring me some like some riffs or some like layered riffs that he would like bring me that were on guitar. And he's like, I, I can I think that violin would go great over this. And so then I would end up writing. I, for the most part, write my own all my own violin parts over the guitar parts that he comes up with. So then I kind of have like, gotcha. you know, I have like a like a structure or like a foundation to work off of, but then I write from there. So there hasn't been too much like, and for the most part, even if he gives, there's been those occasions where he's like, I want like this particular melody on violin. Like I might not be in the exact same register that he wants it in, but I can play that on on the Mm -hmm. violin. Yeah. It's uh, going back to the idea of like kind of having some sense of of fear or uh, uncertainty about whether you're going to be able to, you know, fit in with musically speaking with a, with a band coming since it was like your first, uh, experience, like working in a rock band kind of format. It's, I think that there would be this conception and I, I see where you're coming from, but I feel like from an outside place, someone who's like, well, this person's gone to school for music and like has like legit academic training in it. How would that not prepare them to be able to do this? So what were the sort of things that you uh, had to learn how to do or that you were uncertain how to do when you first started playing with a band? Oh, yeah. I was uncertain how to do anything because I was so used to playing off of like sheet music, right? Like that's my mm-hmm. experience is like sheet music for violin or piano. It's like I'll, I will play the music that's on the page, you know, and I will add as much like expressiveness and stuff like that as possible on my end. But it was never like coming from like pulling stuff out of my own brain or out of like thin air, right? So it was like very daunting and very intimidating, especially because I think with the classical training, it's very much like mess it up and get like yelled at by your instructor or like (laughs) embarrassed in front of the whole orchestra when they call you out on like Mm -hmm. how shitty you're playing something, right? Um, So I think I had to really get over a lot of my own like like internal fears of being like perfect, right? Because I think... Sure. Writing, writing your own music is very much just like you just it's okay to fuck up, like try some stuff. And it sounds if it sounds horrible, just try it again and then just try a bunch of stuff. And then maybe you'll start pulling out things. You'll be like, oh, that little bit sounded cool. Let's build off of that. Right. But it was very much like getting out of my own head because I was like so afraid of like messing up or sounding bad because in like my classical training, that was just not allowed. Like you can't play badly you can't play the wrong thing and but like i feel like Mm -hmm. writing music is all about experimentation and playing playing wrong stuff and being okay with it until you find the right thing right so that was that was the biggest hurdle honestly it was like a huge like mental hurdle and it was like a very much a mental thing for me 
Totally. Yeah. You can internalize a lot of like self critique. I think like I, I also have like issues with, I'm not a jazz drummer by any means, but anytime that I've been thrown into a situation like that, where like it's total all based around improvisation, I like seize up cause I'm very worried about like playing wrong or like screwing everybody else up somehow yeah. by like, you know, cause especially with drums, it's like you're spinning the plates that everyone else is standing on constantly. So I, yeah, I, I can totally see where you're coming from. Yeah. Just speaking in terms of relation to your relationship with the instrument itself, were there any differences between playing like an acoustic violin versus an electric one? What was your first experiences like getting into the electric violin? Like, Yeah. Yeah. It, um, so at first I think my, so I've, I have two electric violins now. So my first one was much more similar to my acoustic violin in that it was four string, you know, fretless, just like my acoustic violin. Um, so it was pretty much like a one-to-one mapping, at least as far as how to play it, right? And then mm-hmm. the difference was being, like, amplified um, and then also, like, being able to throw, like, effects, like, getting, buying, experimenting with effects pedals, trying stuff out, trying to kind of create, like, like the sound and, like, the tones that I wanted to, right? And, like, the textures. Mm-hmm. So, like, that was the first real exploration, but, like, as far as I act, the actual instrument, it wasn't super different. Um, it was just like <laughs> much louder and honestly easier to get a sound out of. I think like it's kind of like huh. it's analogous to like acoustic guitar and like electric guitar, right? Like it's like if you're plugged in as an electric guitar, you can get a sound out pretty easily. Whereas acoustic, like the action is a little higher. You got to like press down a little harder. And like violin, it's kind of like that, but to an extreme, it's like acoustic violin is just a very challenging instrument to play, like to get any kind of like not horrible, like, I don't know, like if you don't know what you're doing, a violin sounds like a, like a cat dying, you know, it's a very like horrible, horrible (laughs) sound. I think, you know, I played violin for many years before I sounded even like halfway decent. So I think an acoustic, I mean, an electric violin is a little bit easier to coax a sound out of for sure. So there's that Mm -hmm. difference. But um, I subsequently, like for the more recent album, I, I have a, a five string electric violin and it's <laughs> it's the most ridiculous looking. I don't know if you've seen a picture of it, but it's like, you know, like flying V guitars. It's a flying right, V okay. violin, which is very, oh very God. silly, <laughs> but it's made by this company called Wood Violins and that's like their whole thing, right? So it's like a flying violin and it's cool because like it straps to your body and it keeps your chin and your face free. So like I, you know, I play violin and I sing in this band. So it was like nice to have like the flexibility to be able to easily sing and play at the same time without having like my chin on a chin rest. So that was like the main draw. And then I mm-hmm. picked a five string because I wanted the increased tonal range of having that low C string because then that gave, gave me like I could kind of you know, play like cello lines on it because I had that low C string. So like a lot of increased flexibility, but then I had to adjust my playing because that's like a, you know, four to five strings. Probably It's probably similar to like trying to play like, you know, a seven string guitar after like, you know, mostly playing. playing. A exactly. String. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when did you start singing in the band? Right away. Yeah. So even I think on our first, like our the demo that we did, I was... So, yeah, when I first joined the band, it was kind of conceived that I would, like, 50-50 play guitar versus violin and then, Mm -hmm. like, also sing. And, you know, Doc was never – we don't usually – we've never had, like, a ton of vocal stuff. Probably, actually, this album is has, like – no, you know what? It's we yeah, we just don't have a lot of vocal lines in general. So it was like 
one of those things where certain songs or certain parts of songs will be like, this seems like it would fit well with like Jessica's voice or like Isaac's voice, you know? And so mm-hmm. like we kind of will just decide that way. So I've, yeah, I think I've sang in, in the band since the beginning of when I joined. Yeah. Yeah. I was just looking over cause I got first introduced to, to the band by the time you sent me the, uh, the debut album, the head, which becomes a skull. Yeah. Uh, when I was writing it, Invisible Oranges. Yeah, that's how we first met. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I like reread my review of it earlier today, and I was like, oh, I forgot that this album opens with like an eleven-minute instrumental track. Yeah, like that's yep. such a gutsy <laughs> move. <laughs> uh, so, given the relative sparsity of vocals on your material, how do you decide like there should be vocals here? Because like clearly, if you're writing eleven-minute songs without vocals, you don't necessarily need to so it it must be something that you distinctly like want to do for certain parts yeah so how do you come to the those decisions yeah it's a good question oh and also thank you so much for that review that's still one of our favorites it's like so well written i think we actually for for a gift for isaac i actually like printed it out and framed it so like he has just so you know (laughs) because it was our first it was our first real like our first big album review so it meant a lot to us you know and you clearly like put a lot of thought into it and it wasn't at all like you know like a toss-off review we could tell that you really listened and and you know yeah it was great no i I mean i really liked that record and it helped a lot that you know there was some really juicy intellectual uh stuff going on in there that was like oh yeah i can definitely like write about this because sometimes you you know you get a record and it's like this is good i just have nothing to say about it yeah whereas with y'all it was like oh well i get to think about hegel and kierkegaard yeah that'll that'll make this interesting that's all isaac he is a very much like a philosophy nerd and definitely injects like injects that stuff into like the themes of our albums so um yeah sorry what was the question you just asked me i like i just got us Um, off on a tangent Yeah. Why do you decide to put vocals in where you do? Yeah. So that also tends to come from Isaac. So he'll, he'll get like kind of, he'll kind of come to us with like the skeleton of a song, right? He'll have like guitar parts written and some, some sense of where it's going. He'll like have some sense of like, I kind of picture vocals over here. Right. So usually when he Mm -hmm. brings a song to me and we're, we're talking about vocals, he'll be like, I, I, I have some lyrics written. I have some ideas of where I want vocals to go in this song. And I think in the early days, he would kind of like, we would work on, we'd work on the vocal melodies together, but he'd usually have some sense of what the vocal melody would be. And we would just do kind of like one vocal melody. Whereas like now for this new album, Unmarked Boxes, by now we've kind of like evolved. And same thing, he'll like let me know. He's like, this track, I like, I've got some got some lyrics written. I these are like the areas I see the vocals being, and then we'll kind of like depending on if it's like if it's if it's something that we think would fit my vocals, and like I'll write my vo- my vocal melodies. And then mm-hmm. if there are songs that he's writing his uh, like he's singing for, he'll write his own vocal melodies. I'll maybe I'll write um, vocal harmonies that go over it as well, right? To like kind of build it out. So like that was very much a more recent development of mine of like hearing like hearing extra layers and not just like one vocal line. Um, but yeah, that's right, kind of, right. that's kind of where it is, is it's like, it's like the song kind of dictates whether or not vocals fit. And that's something that in general, Isaac kind of has like a, a preconceived notion of whether or not vocals will fit. And we recorded, when we recorded Unmarked Boxes, we actually also recorded a EP at the same time, a 
two track EP that we're going to release at a later date. And Mm -hmm. the funny thing is that one of those tracks, like I heard, I was like, I feel like vocals would go over this song. And he was like, oh, he's like, I did not conceive of that. But he was like, if you want to add vocals, that's on you. And then I ended up cannibalizing all of my vocal melody ideas into violin. (laughs) And I just like (laughs) ended up playing them all on violin and having like very textured, very layered violin lines instead. So like it ended up, (laughs) nope, not vocals. It's all on violin instead. And it it worked out for the best for that track. Interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to listen to that and see if I can pick out what's vote, what was originally meant to be vocals and what wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. Cause he asked me, he's like, I thought you had vocal ideas. I was like, I did. I decided to play them all on violin instead. So Uh yeah. So were y'all playing live and touring around the time that you joined too, or is that or more of a recording kind of project? Yeah, no tours ever, unfortunately. So there was a there was a period of time where we were playing live gigs. It was super fun. So it was when we when I first joined the band, that was very much like part of the in, our intentions was to play live. Like so, mm-hmm. especially the early music we wrote. The one of the reasons why we didn't have a ton of like different like multiple violin layers or like multiple like like you know six or seven guitar layers like we have now is because we were like oh well, we have to be able to play the song live so we have like we have two guitars maybe three depending on if I'm playing violin or guitar and then like vocals we have to be able to play this live um now like I think there was a certain point where we were like we don't play shows anymore we should just write the music we want to write <laughs> in the studio mm-hmm. and if we ever want have to play it live that will be like a future us problem to deal with but yeah uh we did we did play shows it was just pretty much all in the bay area mostly in oakland there was a period of time where we were playing live and it was super fun and we like we opened for like junius we opened for a couple of other bands oh like mustard gas and roses yeah mm-hmm. really fun time but it was just you know we all all of us have had day jobs this whole time and like really complicated schedules and like <laughs> it was just hard to to make the live thing happen so yeah it was just you know it was something that we really wanted to do for a period of time and then it just kind of never we ended up always just kind of focusing more on writing music and then recording in the studio and then putting it out. Is that something that started with this uh, this current album that's about to come out, or is that something that started with uh, the last EP, the uh, Rune of Ruins? Is that am yeah, I Ruin upon Ruins? Yeah, Ruin upon. You ruins, mean the yeah. the just focusing on like making music for for the studio? Yeah, I would say that started uh, with the last one, with the Ruins Upon mm-hmm. Ruins EP, because I think we did, I think the last live show we played was, I want to say, I want to say like May 2019. I might be, I might be wrong, but we played a show at the Oakland Metro um, and we did end up, because we'd already started, I'm trying to remember what songs we played. I think we played live one one track off of Ruins Upon Ruins. That was our um, our reinterpretation of Landslide, Fleetwood Mac song. Right, the Fleetwood yeah. Mac song, We yeah. played that live. And then we actually ended up playing a song off of this current album, this newest Unmarked Boxes, because we started writing that one actually back then. So mm-hmm. we, we ended up playing, which is pretty funny, that we had like live debuted a track from this album like way before the album came out. Um, but yeah, that was the last like live show we played. But yeah, I think we started kind of more like not putting 
those confines of oh we have to be able to play this track live we like we kind of like put that on the back burner after um the head which becomes a skull i would say i think we were Mm -hmm. much more kind of just more realistically like we don't play live that often i think we should write the music we want to write and put as many layers as we feel and as many of as we feel like serve the music just like and just do it in the studio Totally. Yeah. I was going to ask about the Fleetwood Mac cover oh, yeah. <laughs> because, uh, it's, it's a decision, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's not necessarily what a lot of people would expect, like a metal band, a doom metal band in particular to be covering. So how did, how did y'all settle on doing that particular song? Yeah, that one has a cool story too. So Isaac, it came, the idea that came to him in a dream actually. So he had a dream, um, that he was like at his, so f- for background, landslide is isaac's mom's favorite song Uh and so he had a dream i believe oh i really hope i don't get this wrong (laughs) he had a dream that he was playing that like it was at his mom's funeral and to be clear his mom is alive and well thank goodness but like in this dream he was playing his mom's funeral and we were playing like the heaviest version of landslide ever created so heavy that the earth cracked beneath our feet and so (laughs) that's how he conceived of the idea and he was like well first of all he like woke up and he's like well that's a crazy idea because like landslide is a Fleetwood Mac song and you know goodness knows there's been plenty of attempts of love landslide covers some of which Mm -hmm. have not gone well right so he's like (laughs) it's like that's not a good idea but I think that it was such a vivid dream to him and then you know, it really, it, it kind of turned into an idea of like, not a cover, but like of our interpretation of sure. what would like a heavy version of like a very, you know, like somber, heartbreaking kind of song, which does like thematically trans translate well into heavy music. Right. Mm-hmm. And we ended up like, yeah, writing it out. And it ended up being something that ended up being perfect for that post wax project because it was when Jad came to us and it was like, Hey, like, would you be interested in doing an album for post wax? You have a lot of creative latitude. This can be something that you would normally not put out, like something that's like, doesn't fit for your idea of your next like album album. And mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, we actually do have an idea in our back pocket. It's a, relatively weird and crazy idea how would you feel about it and luckily um jad at um, blues funeral was just like okay like if that's what you want to do let's go for it so (laughs) yeah i mean it's a just it's a good calling card i feel like it's useful for metal bands to have like the unexpected Mm -hmm. non-metal track of course this it sounds like the rest of your material uh, but it, it's a good way to like hook people in and be like, whoa, 10 minute doom metal landslide, you know? Yeah. And we were very much like when we were, when we were writing it out, we were like, if at any point this feels like, you know, not genuine or not true to us or cheesy or something that like doesn't feel right, like we'll just, we're not going to do it. Right. We're like, we only mm-hmm. want to do this if we can do it in a way that's like honest to us and genuine to like the way we write music and I think we were really happy to be able to do it it was very daunting you know especially like you know covering like singing Stevie Nicks vocals I was very like intimidated I was like this is Mm -hmm. really scary to do but yeah sounds great no complaints here Uh, thank you (laughs) it was really it was really fun to do like I said very challenging and we're just like really happy with the way it came out so going from that two track EP to the new full length record. You mentioned that you'd already started 
writing it, but when did it all really start to come together and what was the process of bringing it into the studio? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we started, you know, I think there's like bits and pieces of this album that we had attempted to write out for, for years, I think. And it was one of those things where I think, <laughs> like as a band, we've always been super ambitious. You know, like all of us are like super music nerds, like, you know, you know, listen to, you know, bands like, like Yob and like the, like Neurosis, right? Like bands that are like mm-hmm. so established and have like this very organic and beautiful complex history, right? And so we have always had like all these ambitions, like we have tastes, but like, like to be frank, in the early days, our individual and like group musicianship skills were not <laughs> were not in line with our ambitions right like it was like our ambitions right. are up here our skill levels like not you know not anywhere close and so like we'd started writing this material like some of it years ago and it was just like one of those things where like one example is like that so that ep that we also recorded and are gonna release later on there's a track it's like it's in a major key, which like none of our mm-hmm. other songs are in. And that's, I think when we first started, we actually started writing a track during that from like the head, which becomes a skull days, our first full length album in 20, you know, 2016, 2017. Right. Um, but it was like, I know I could speaking on my own behalf. Like I couldn't write a violin line over a major key that didn't sound like, like a schoolyard song or like, you know, I was like, this sounds like a lullaby or it sounds like lame as hell. I was like so frustrated with myself. I was like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, it's not like right. It doesn't feel right. So we ended up like, we even like recorded like half the track in the studio for that album. And our, (laughs) our sound engineer, Greg had to be like, this isn't working guys. I'm just going to let you know. It's Mm -hmm. like, sorry, this one's not working. We're like, oh shit. All right. We're just going to leave it on the cutting room floor, you know? And, we ended up, yeah, using like the best part of that that attempt in this new EP that's going to come out later because we finally we were finally like as a group and individually got to the level where we could do that song justice, right? Like write it out and have it be like as genuine to us and like as we we're all so picky and so like have exacting standards for ourselves, especially we're all like perfectionists and super hard on ourselves. We're finally able to like write out that song and execute it at the level that we felt good about like recently. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I kind of like meandered so much. I don't remember where I started. No, that, this it, that, is, that is still useful yeah. information because it seemed to me upon hearing the new record that there was like a huge jump mm-hmm. in production mm-hmm. quality and not even just in like production, meaning like, Oh, it sound like the, the recording is better, but in terms of like, the drums are, and I mean like no disrespect to the performances on the previous records, but the, the drums are way tighter for on sure. This yeah. one. And like the, out, the it just the whole thing kind of like feels so much more fine tuned and locked in. So yeah, it makes sense that like you, it sounds like you put in a ton of work to, to jump from the previous EP and full, uh, and full length album to this yeah. one. Yeah. What was that? What was that process? Yeah. Like, I think, that? well, a lot of it is just like, just like the very natural learning, like, we were all, you know, learning together. Like my bandmates have for the most part been in other bands as well, but like Doc was a very specific kind of experience, you know, and we're all like very mm-hmm. close. We all like, you know, <laughs> like talk about our like talk about our internal experiences with one another and stuff. So it's like it's like another it's a very specific kind of band that like my bandmates have said that they didn't necessarily feel that same same kind of like 
closeness and kind of like very much pouring your heart into the music that we're writing as in this mm-hmm. case and so a lot of that was just like the journey you know like we're all learning together and improving ourselves like our own music like musicality and our own musicianship skills as the years go by both individually and together like you know playing as a group as you know is like a also like ensemble is a different skill than like playing on your own right playing well with totally. other people and then Honestly, also, I think recording this album in like the summer of 2020 really put also like another level of like, it ended up being very motivating. So we we were kind of like, we'd been working on this album for, you know, like over a year, like writing it and doing it in our normal, like weekly rehearsal cadence, you know? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously we, when the pandemic hit, we couldn't see each other regularly. We were all just like hunkered down at home. But then we're, we kind of had like a very limited window of when we could record this album because our drummer was starting grad school soon. Like he was starting grad school this last fall. And he was like, OK, well, if we don't do it now, we're going to lose the opportunity until God knows when. I don't know when I'm going to have time again. So we're like, OK, it's like now or never, you know, so like there was a pandemic. Calif- the entire state of California, it felt like was on fire, <laughs> you know, right, like it right. was just like a very dark and intense unknown time and but we what we did know was like that this music was really like important to us and again we just felt like our own like musicality and our skill level had reached the point where we could execute this album right we're like we're finally Mm -hmm. there we've made it there we can write this music that has been in our heads and in our hearts for so long we've got to make it happen so we ended up having to do like a very compressed um rehearsal schedule i think it was like a total of like I don't even know, like a handful, like six or seven rehearsals maybe of like Mm -hmm. close together, you know, like, like masked and still trying to like be six feet apart in a small practice space and be as careful as possible and, you know, take, you know, in a very risky time and then book the studio time um, and record it. And it was just, there was just that feeling of urgency, right? Because there was like so many factors of urgency, like, I don't know when we're going to be able to play together again. Um, Like if our drummer is going to grad school, we don't know if we don't do it now, maybe not ever. And then like, you know, driving, driving to the studio, which was like in the deep East Bay in uh, Pittsburgh, California, like driving over Mm -hmm. the hill and like the smoke is literally so thick that you can't even see like other cars. It was like 110 degrees on certain days when we were recording and the recording space did not have air conditioning and we were all like in masks the whole day and trying to like keep distance. It was like a very intense experience and I think that for whatever reason it did like it did end up bringing the best out of us. I was, I can speak for my own myself. I was the most inspired I've ever been. It was a a lot of the Mm -hmm. writing I actually did. Like I wrote all my initial violin and like vocal lines beforehand, but in the studio when we were like, okay, um, I, I remember I got like, I asked Ben, our sound engineer for like the, you know, like the rough, like the he like bounced the rough tracks for me to listen to. And I was like, oh my God, my brain was hearing all these extra violin layers. And Isaac was like, I really feel like piano could be really cool. And I was like, I can write piano stuff over over these parts mm-hmm. of the songs. And that all came to me. And like all like the vocal harmonies, the extra violin harmonies and piano lines, I pretty much wrote like like concurrently while we were in the studio because it was just so like under the wire. Like something about that pressure was just very motivating for some reason and we really did do our best work and it 
I think it was just for us, we're like, oh my God, we want, we want to make this stuff happen. Like it's just been, this music has been inside us for years. We really want to get it out there and have other people be able to listen to it and hope that it like helps them, you know, and it gives them the mm -hmm. s same sense of hope that it gave us. So I noticed that a lot of this, the, you know, the first two tracks have this kind of like shared song title mm, system mm -hmm. and the last two tracks, same thing where it's like a single phrase broken yeah. up into two parts. Did you conceive of the full record as like a single continuous experience or was that something that you kind of developed as you were finalizing the album? I think Isaac always conceives of our albums as like, except for, except for our EP, the one that came out in 2019, the one with Landslide, mm -hmm. that was like, that was like two, very much two distinct tracks that we we had right, right. but um but everything else like the the head which becomes a skull and this one on mark boxes are very much like were conceived of as like an entire experience from start to finish and thematically all related uh, since you're involved with like writing some of the vocal parts and performing the vocal parts do the two of you talk about like the the lyrical themes and sort of the broader conceptual stuff is that something that you have a, a hand in or is that uh mostly just isaac determining that on we his definitely own? talk about it as a group and build it out as a group but for the most part like the themes um originate from isaac yeah yeah mm -hmm. they're very much from him what's your personal uh interpretation or approach to the the primary concept and theme of uh, unmarked boxes uh, my what my understanding is of it or yeah, like where are you coming from? Yeah, so this this album was actually because the like the past one you talked about um, was much more about philosophy, and that's just an area where I just don't have like a ton of formal education in. You know, like I can't talk in detail mm -hmm. about like Kierkegaard or or anything like that. But this this unmarked boxes I think is a much more um, universal theme, which is like starting out in a dark place, dealing with grief, depression like darkness and then kind of moving your way into finding like openness, space, hope, mm -hmm. you know, and that's very much the, the, the trajectory of this album and the theme of the album. And I think that's universal, right? Like I think everybody kind of, that will resonate with everybody. Right. So that's, I think that's a very right. easy thing to be able to channel and like to then inject into like the vocals and the violin lines and the piano lines I wrote for, for the album. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that when you mentioned that you have this like yet to be released major key song, <laughs> I was thinking about how near the end of this record, there's like some first steps mm. kind of in that direction where like suddenly there's a bit more harmonic movement and it feels like there's, you know, some some major chords kind of popping up uh, in there. So it sounds like that was like an intentional choice to go from like the much doomier first half into maybe a bit more of a a brighter colored hue by the end of the record. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it was it was also just kind of like a natural progression. Like I think our, our songwriting was just like as we evolved as songwriters and like matured too, that's just what just what ended up happening for us, you know, is like having mm -hmm. more like that feeling like natural. Like I said, the first few times I tried to write <laughs> write over a major key. I was like, I hate when I'm writing. It sounds all like infantile and stupid, you know, and I wasn't it didn't feel like natural to me right whereas like now mm -hmm. it was like very much like oh my gosh like this this music is like is as moving to me as the really heavy stuff as the more doomy or even like our atonal stuff you know like a lot of our early stuff is much more atonal than the stuff now right and back right. then I think it yeah, was yeah. easier for me to resonate with that stuff but now it's like you know there's a much larger emotional range that feels like 
good to write over and like genuine to write over as well. You mentioned that, you know, the, the band has a lot of ambitions about where they, where you want to take your sound. Where exactly do you want to take, you've got this EP coming up following this record, but do you have any like bigger goals for the project that you'd like to shoot for, whether that be like aesthetically or musically or, or what have you, like, where do you want to push the band next? Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think as a group, our ambitions have always just been, been to like, to, to grow in whatever way we naturally grow. Right. And not because, like, mm-hmm. again, we don't want to do we have never want to do anything that feels like we're trying or that we're like, you know, being something that we're not or like trying to like, like fake it one step above until we make it. It's never been that. It's always just been like we we grow as people, we grow as a band and our music reflects that, you know, and as long as it's 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 genuine and true and resonates with us and you know, then we, we hope that it also resonates with other people, you know, like we want, we want people to find like the most, the most meaningful and like heart, like heartening messages we've gotten from people is being like, Hey, you know, like you're out, your music really helped me through a rough time, you know, like that's, that, that's amazing because it's helped us through rough times, you know? And so if like it can do that for other people, like what, what better gift is there? So I think it's very much like I, I don't even have any pre- preconceived notions of where I want our music to go. It's like wherever wherever it goes, as long as it's it's yeah, it's just genuine to us and natural, and that's the like the progression of our music is is where it's gonna go. And and the I mean honestly, the future of our band is a little unknown as well because like you know our, our our drummer is now in grad school full time, and it's like mm-hmm. we're not sure. You know, we don't we don't currently don't have a rhythm section so like we can't we couldn't play live right now even if we wanted to we'd have to like find some people to fill in to do that go full drone i guess guess. yeah Yeah. i don't know so um yeah and i mean like yeah we're we're still it's kind of unknown right now what what the future is but i do know that we love we love making music together and we're i i like it's been you know, I feel like like blessing is such a is a, such a cheesy word to use, like in our like hashtag blessed <laughs> kind of like <laughs> sure. social media word like world. But like you know, I for as cheesy as that word is, it feels like true. Like I feel really lucky to have been able to like make this music with you know people who have become some of my best friends and to be able to like express myself and like it's very cathartic to make this music and and put it out there and yeah so like I guess we'll just see you know again we're like always just try to be try to keep it real you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. well I certainly think that this next record on Mark Boxes sets you up for you know more responses like the ones that you've talked about getting from fans I certainly think it's an example of keeping it real in doom if you know it's it's a really good genuinely great like slow heavy record with a lot of really pretty melodies and stuff in it. It's, it's really Thank good. Thank you so much. So I mean so much. To I think us, we're, yeah. whatever happens next, you, y'all should be very proud of the work that you've put in on that album. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much for hopping on this call uh, and handling the technical difficulties up top. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that again. Thanks for helping me out figuring that out. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, best of luck to you. Best of luck with the record and all that. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll hear that EP sometime soon. Thanks so much, Ian. Really appreciate it.